This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, and welcome to this month's Bright Focus Chat about macular degeneration. My name is Diana Campbell, and for more than a decade now, I've had the privilege of working with you, um, you all who are impacted by macular degeneration. Uh, the topic of today's chat is understanding dry MD, or age-related macular degeneration, and geographic atrophy, which we'll likely refer to as GA as we, as we go forward. We're going to spend about a half an hour learning about dry AMG, AMD, GA, and other potential treatments on the horizon. Um, and we're excited today because this topic is especially timely as the FDA is currently reviewing the first ever treatment for geographic atrophy. This chat is brought to you today by Bright Focus Foundation. We fund some of the top scientists in the world who are working to find better treatments and ultimately cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease. And we do events like today's chat to get the latest news from science as quickly as possible to families that are impacted by these diseases. You can find much more information on our website, www.brightfocus.org. We are delighted to bring back today's guest, Dr. David Liao, uh, who is a retina specialist at Retina Vitreous Associates in Los Angeles, California. In addition to seeing patients at his practice, Dr. Liao has been involved in a number of research studies involving retinal diseases such as macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, and retinal vein occlusions. He has authored and co-authored a number of publications and abstracts related to both clinical conditions as well as basic science research. Dr. Liao, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me back. Um, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a, a retina specialist out in Los Angeles, California. And um, I think this is an exciting time for uh, folks with uh, dry MD and geographic atrophy because there are a lot of new potential treatments on the horizon. And um, all of these medications have gone through clinical trials and they're just making their way, hopefully, uh, to FDA approval uh, sometime in the near future. I think that's really exciting for everybody on the call today. Um, let's start kind of with the basics. Um, what is dry AMD and how does it affect our vision? And I guess, you know, after that, what exactly is geographic atrophy and how do the two relate to each other? Sure. sure. So I, I'm sure many of the folks out there are already familiar with some of this, but dry AMD or age-related macular degeneration is the early form of the disease. And um, what the doctor will, will see when he or she looks inside the eye is these fatty deposits uh, known as drusen. Uh, and initially, there's really minimal effect on vision. And um, over time, the drusen can slowly enlarge, and there may be some mild blurring or distortion. Um, there is a more advanced type of dry AMD, and that's geographic atrophy. And, and this is where um, those parts of the central retina, the macula, um, become thin. Uh, and this can lead to um, some blind spots off to the side, difficulty reading, for instance, because of those, um, needing more light. Um, and uh, slowly, as time progresses, these, these thin spots can expand, and if they affect the very central part of the vision, uh, then uh, vision decreases substantially. Um, but this does take quite some time to happen. Wonderful. And um, I know people, you know, often mention they have wet AMD and dry AMD. Um, as dry AMD gets worse and advances, um, is there a way of knowing whether it will wind up as geographic atrophy or wet AMD, or what's that relationship? Sure, yeah. So um, a lot of people 
feel that uh, wet and dry MD are, are mutually exclusive, um, actually they can both exist in the same patient in the same eye, um, in one eye or the other. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so wet AMD, is, as opposed to dry AMD, is where you get uh, bleeding or swelling in the retina. And that is due to um, new blood vessels that have grown up into the retina and they're leaky. And uh, many people receive injections uh, like Avastin, Ilea Lucentis, um, a number of other medications to treat that. Um, all AMD starts off as dry AMD. And so when you um, have wet AMD, you just have wet AMD on top of the dry AMD. So the, the dry AMD doesn't go away. You just have both. Doctors usually just call it wet AMD because that is what we've been treating these days with the injections. Um, it's very difficult to predict who will uh, progress uh, from just the early stages to get dry uh, geographic atrophy or the wet AMD. Um, we know there are certain risk factors, and by doing the eye exam, um, you can kind of put these risk factors together and, and give your, your patient uh, an estimate, a rough estimate, say, for example, the 20% chance of developing wet AMD over the next five years or, or what have you, based on the severity of the disease. And we know there are other risk factors uh, like smoking and, and, and the vitamin use that can um, adversely affect or positively affect uh, our risk for these, these types of things. But uh, the best way is just to see your eye doctor and get routine checkups. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned the percentage for um, dry AMD becoming wet AMD. Is there a similar percentage of people who have, um, you know, early dry AMD, um, you know, the percentage of those that will go on to um, progress to ge geographic atrophy? Sure. Yeah. So the, the standard statistic for um, uh, uh, wet AMD, for example, is about 10% of people um, with uh, macular degeneration are going to get wet macular degeneration, and it will account for um, almost 90% of the folks who have severe vision loss. Um, the, the amount of people who have uh, advanced geographic atrophy is somewhat similar, so it may be about 10%, but keep in mind that um, uh, these are just kind of whole uh, averages, and, um, sure, and sure. as people age, for example, the incidence of, of dry uh, AMD or geographic atrophy will increase just as the, the amount of wet macular degeneration will increase as well. Right. Um, here's a somewhat similar question, but this actually deals with both, um, and it's actually from a listener. Statistically, if you're diagnosed with AMD, so either one, um, how likely are you to go blind? Is there a percentage or other way to assess that or kind of yes. get a sense um, for is, risk? This is a, a, a very common question that people ask, and uh, the first thing um, uh, I tell patients is that um, with AMD, uh, despite the severity of it, most people don't go blind to the extent that they lose all vision, um, that they don't see anything, for example. Um, so even if in severe cases, um, central vision is lost, but peripheral vision is still there. So um, you still maintain mobility, you can still get around your home and so forth. Um, now the outlook um, before um, we had these injections, for example, for wet AMD, um, was, was, wasn't great. I mean, people would progress to central vision loss. But nowadays with the anti-VEGF injections that we talked about, um, it's very uncommon that you're going to have um, severe vision loss in both eyes um, because of the wet AMD. Um, now, dry AMD, and we're going to talk about that later in the talk, um, can also pr 
reduce vision loss, but um, hopefully with some of these medicines, that will change as well because there will be treatments to slow the progression down. Absolutely. No, that's great. And what a what a huge milestone, you know, for those that do have the advanced form of, of dry AMD or geographic atrophy. You know, the, the revolution with the wet AMD treatments was so huge, and I think this is equally exciting um, for all of us. Um, so let's see. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Um, this question has been coming up a lot. Uh, we've got actually a number of people who have mentioned that um, they didn't know that they actually had geographic atrophy until they asked their doctor. Um, so my question is, uh, what constitutes a diagnosis? Um, and you know, how, how does the doctor assess whether it's um, still dry AMD or whether it's progressed on to GA? Right. So um, first, of course, we do the eye exam. Uh, there are other uh, diagnostic tools in the offices like OCT. Um, there's uh, special uh, photos that we take of the eye, especially what we call fundus autofluorescence. And uh, these are very good at showing up the thin areas uh, in the retina and the underlying layer, the RPE. And so <clears throat> if you have any of those um, uh, findings, then you may have geographic atrophy. And basically what your doctor or retina specialist will do is um, take photos, serial photos over time, and you can uh, look at the progression. And again, uh, fortunately, the progression is very slow, uh, but over the years, what we usually see is we'll see that these thin areas uh, expand, they may coalesce, and then very late in uh, the disease, then it may affect the central vision, and um, then patients usually notice a decrease in their um, central acuity. Okay, great. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, so as I just said, um, these are really hopeful times for people with geographic atrophy with the first ever treatment under review and so many others close behind. Let's talk about that first. Um, what, what does uh, the one that's currently under FDA review, um, can you talk a little bit about that, um, the method of delivery, um, how, it, how it treats the eye, um, you know, how the medicine treats the eye? Sure. Yeah. So for a long time, there well, since up until now, there hasn't been any treatment to slow down um, geographic atrophy. And so there's been intense research into what's the cause of, of geographic atrophy. And we think that in dry macular degeneration, um, there's an ongoing low level of inflammation inside the eye, um, located particularly at the drusen. And it's um, uh, part of the inflammation is, is part of what we call the complement cascade that is a normal part of our immune system, uh, but it seems to be overactive in that area. And so all of these medications, uh, for example, uh, pixidoglycan, um, uh, excuse me, pexetacoplan. These are all difficult to pronounce, but um, all of these medicants, <laughs> um, they, um, they, a lot of these target the complement cascade. They, they kind of uh, tamp down the, the level of inflammation, and thereby they slow the expansion of these, um, uh, these thin spots. Um, so this um, particular medication, um, pexetacoplan, um, it's made by uh, Palace Pharmaceuticals, is an inhibitor of the complement cascade, and it's administered um, either once a month or every other month. Um, 
in the office, and it's an eye injection just like um, people get for their um, wet macular degeneration with the Lucentis or Alia. Um, we basically numb the eye, uh, clean the eye, and do the injection on the sclera, the white part of the eye. When folks go home, there may be some irritation afterwards, uh, but that usually fades, and they'll come back and um, we'll monitor the progression of the dry uh, geographic atrophy, and hopefully, um, in, at least in the clinical trials, we see a slowing of the expansion. So it doesn't reverse the loss, but it really inhibits the, the progression, the, the expansion and coalescence of these thin areas so that people keep more of their vision for longer periods of time. Great. Um, so to kind of recap what you said, because I know people will ask, um, this drug is going to slow progression, slow the expansion of the thin spots um, that are developing, but it is not going to regain, they're not going to regain vision that they've already lost, right? Exactly. And so I think it's it's important for folks to understand that just because with the wet macular degeneration uh, medications, it kind of reverses some of the swelling uh, to some aspect and, to, and people get uh, improvement in vision. This is a really uh, like a, a slowing down. And, and think of it, I think of it this way. If, um, for example, it was going to take you five years to lose vision or get really impaired vision. And if that is delayed by a couple of years, then that gives you really a couple, two, three years of extra vision. Um, so that that's a significant thing. And that's how I, how I would look at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other question that I know um, we'll get, if I look at my screen, I'm probably already getting it. Um, if you're already in treatment for wet AMD and you're having, you know, whichever Lucentis or Ilea, um injections, you know, every four to eight weeks or so. Um, what happens now with an injection for dry AMD? How does that, you know, can you get injections for both? Um, and what does that look like? Sure. So um, when the FDA approves something, they'll approve it for a specific use. So uh, they'll uh, approve this most likely, um, hopefully we'll see that sometime in November of this year, that they'll approve it for the use with dry AMD. And um, folks, as we mentioned, can have wet macular degeneration and dry AMD at the same time. So it will be up to the doctor. Um, they can use it, quote unquote, off-label um, to treat the dry AMD um, that people have with wet AMD. Um, the uh, clinical trials weren't designed specifically to look at that um, uh, type of population, um, but sure. it will be used. And I think it's um, people have had, for example, in the, the clinical trials, they've developed wet macular degeneration during the trial, and they've had treatment for both uh, ongoing during the trial. So I think as we get more and more data and results from the trial, we'll see um, how folks um, respond to the medication if they have both dry and wet AMD at the same time. Right. Well, that's encouraging that the folks um, from the trial were able to use both once they developed wet AMD. I think that they'll give a little bit of hope. Um, you know, most people or many people that we work with um, have both, you know, one in one eye and one yeah. in the other, or even both in one eye, as you mentioned earlier. So um, that's great. Um, let's see. I had actually another question um, from a listener, and I had it further down, so I'm finding it. Uh, my current doctor is an optometrist and has been regularly checking my AMD dry for three or four years. Is this care adequate, or should I be seeing an ophthalmologist? Um, and she says she's 81 and still sees reasonably well, and the current care seems adequate, but at what point should she consider um, changing? 
Right. So I think if, if you have a good doctor and you have a good relationship, um, be the physician uh, uh, ophthalmologist or um, optometrist, I think I would just continue that relationship. Um, now, with these new treatments available, I think um, we'll have to get the word out, especially as retina specialists, to make everybody aware. Um, just because folks um, might not know there's a, a treatment for dry AMD, and, and in the past they've just been saying, well, come back in six months, come back in a year. Uh, but now um, it may be worthwhile just to have a conversation conversation after your next appointment and say maybe um, we'll have like a one-time consultation with the retina specialist, see what's out there, uh, if these things are applicable to me, and um, that will give you peace of mind that, that you know that you've um, kind of asked all the questions that you need to. That's great advice. I think also another easy way people could tell um, how they're being tracked is whether or not they're getting those pictures you mentioned taken, getting imaging and, and other pictures. Um, so if their optometrist isn't doing that, it sounds like they might want to do that consult and then perhaps change. Okay. Yeah, um, um, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, no. I think, uh, yeah, it's all about the, the doctor-patient relationship. And uh, I think uh, uh, just being comfortable with your position is, is a very important thing. I couldn't agree more. And we hear from a lot of folks, um, you know, that folks that do have a really good working relationship and they can ask the questions they have and, you know, and others whose doctors don't have as much time to talk with them and they're left with questions. Um, I think you're right, absolutely, with, with any doctor you're seeing, that relationship is so important. Okay, so um, we are going to transition now to, um, you know, the well, we had some exciting news with the, um, with the Apellis review, but um, let's also briefly review other potential treatments um, that are coming along in, in clinical trials that look promising. Um, and, you know, as we go, are they similar or different to, how are they similar or different to um, the Apellis drug? Um, you know, and I know we've got some gene therapy, potential oral treatments, um, you know, Regeneration, vitamin A. Uh, what what what's the list, and what should people be sure. um, looking for? Yes, there have been uh, there's been intense interest in, in how to treat this uh, disease. Um, so one of the other treatments that's coming out is, is from a company called Iveric Bio. The uh, main name of the drug is Zymura, and it's it's similar um, in function. Um, it works uh, a little bit differently along the complement cascade, uh, and they're finishing up their clinical trials. So I would expect that they would be hoping to get approval from the FDA um, also shortly, maybe sometime in the next year. So, um, but uh, it's also done by injections in the clinic, um, just like we we talked about. Um, there are also other ways of of um, tamping down the complement cascade that people are looking at. Uh, one of them is um, Danicopan. Uh, that's a medication from Alexion Pharmaceuticals, and so that is an oral inhibitor. Um, so that may, if it turns out to work well, that may be easier than, than getting shots. Um, there are also uh, folks that are looking at gene therapy. There's a company called Gyroscope. Um, they have a um, engineered vector that um, is um, implanted in the eye surgically, and uh, what it does is it makes the eye, quote-unquote, make its own medicine uh, to tamp down uh, um, the complement cascade uh, activity. And so um, that may have advantages um, in that the uh, medicine is continuously made for a long period of time, so perhaps you don't have to get um, so many injections after the initial surgery. Um, there are other 
um, medications out there looking at like inhibition of the vitamin A um, cycle inside the eye to try to decrease toxic byproducts. Um, all of these would certainly be good um, at preventing progression. Um, I know a lot of folks out there want treatment if they're um, if their disease is already advanced, and, and that's probably where stem cells would come in. Um, there's There's been several trials where folks have surgically implanted stem cells underneath the retina. Um, they make a small hole in the retinas during surgery, and they implant the stem cells in there. And um, people have seen that the stem cells uh, have um, have been able to survive in the eye, not necessarily um, uh, improve vision on a whole scale. Um, these trials were mainly looking at safety. Um, there are other trials, for example, where people have grown a stem cell patch, and that's implanted surgically underneath the retina um, with a special instrument. So a lot of these are, are coming out. Um, the stem cells are, are quite a bit farther away um, from becoming a reality. Um, they're more in the safety phases now, uh, but hopefully in the next uh, you know, five 10 years, some of those will, will get closer to being able to help patients in the clinic. Well, we will definitely have to keep you on the speaker circuit so you can help explain each of these to us as they come. There's so many exciting different um, targets. Um, it's just so much information, and I know we'll get questions on it. So we will absolutely be doing follow-ups on this. Of course. Hopefully we'll have some good news. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a good point. As um, you know, Bright Focus, and I'm sure you as well, and all the retina specialists will share, um, you know, after the decision is made in November, you know, with all of our audiences, um, what the results were and, you know, what they can look for next. Um, so everybody should know that they will hear from us <laughs> in November about that. Uh, let's see. Um, with these, um, and we kind of talked about this, but I'll ask it kind of more specifically. Um, with these treatments in mind, how important is it to get that specific diagnosis? You know, so if you've been told you have moderate um, dry AMD and you're not sure if you've progressed, um, you know, in order to get treatment, um, will they require or do you know if they'll require the specific GA diagnosis or what's the importance of getting that exact diagnosis going forward? Right, yes. So, um when the FDA approves it, it will be for that specific GI diagnosis. And I think, um, again, it is important just because we haven't had any treatments and folks may not have noticed a, a quick change in their vision, that they haven't been to their doctor for a while um, and they haven't had a conversation about things for a while. So um, it's good just maintain your regular checkups and um, make yourself aware of, of what may be applicable to your disease because um, if this is something that you would be interested in, getting treated earlier will compound the, the beneficial effects. Uh, so you'll be getting the drug for longer, and it will be able to slow the geographic atrophy for a longer period of time. Oh, that's great. Um, and I know there are about a million people, um, is what I've heard, and in the U.S. with um, geographic atrophy. Do you think it's underdiagnosed, though? Do you think there are more people that we need to get messages out to, um, you know, to maybe just check in a little earlier than they might have on their progression? Right. I, I definitely think it's 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 underdiagnosed. It's not something that um, has been a big topic just because really there was no treatments available. So right. um, even if you did diagnosis, there wouldn't be a whole lot that you could offer. So uh, sure, I think that course. a lot more people would get uh, diagnosed and hopefully a lot more people get treatment benefit out of it. Okay. We'll make sure to remind people of that as well. I think that's so important. Um, and I'd like to add for the listeners, um, 
all of the treatments on the horizon that we're talking about here have been made possible with clinical trial volunteers and other um, types of studies that go into um, the approval process. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions um, that have come in from the listeners, and then uh, we'll kind of close up soon. Um, okay. What is the speed of geographic atrophy, and how can we tell if it's progressing? All right, so the speed of geographic atrophy is, is very slow. Um, basically, you start out with these small, thin patches um, in the retina or in the macula, and then they slowly expand over time. So um, the estimated kind of size of these growth is about uh, 1.78 square millimeters per year. So that's, that's very small, uh, although the eye is, is a small space. And so you don't usually notice a lot of um, central vision loss, but you may notice other things like uh, decrease in light sensitivity um, that causes these little blind spots. So you may have trouble reading, for example, the next word may disappear until you move your eye in a certain direction. And so that, that may progress very slowly over time, like years, five, 10 years or so. And um, But um, when that thinning reaches the central area, that's when folks notice more of a decrease in the, the central uh, area. So we're really trying to, to slow this progression. So again, you know, maybe if it's not, if it's five, 10 years, it may be seven, 12, 13 years. And, and that's a valuable thing. Um, until right. People, absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, well, let's see. Oh, this is um, sort of, I, I mean, it's similar. And I know we've asked you this before, or at least I think we have. Um, do interocular injections for the treatment of exudative AMD accelerate um, non-exudative AMD, and in particular geographic atrophy. I'm not sure if that's a misconception or, um, you know, or if it's, there's some truth to it, whether getting the injections for what AMD actually um, might put you more at risk for GA. Right. So there, there is, has been this um, discussion out there, and certainly in, in studies that um, have had followed people with wet AMD, they have seen um, an increase in geographic atrophy with repeated intraocular uh, wet AMD injections. So uh, whether the um, the injections themselves are an actual cause uh, is debatable. Um, we don't know exactly what's causing it. Um, it may be that um, regression of the wet AMD has something to do with it, or perhaps the, the medicine um, is um, removing some support for the RP cells there. We don't know exactly. Um, we do try to minimize um, injections uh, for this and other reasons so that we're not oh. treating too much, um, but we're treating enough to keep the wet AMD under control. But um, I think the answer will come in coming years as we get these medications on the market and, and people will receive um, in treatment for both uh, at the same time, most likely. And uh, we'll be able to see whether this medication has an effect on that type of geographic atrophy. It may be a separate um, type of disease. We, we don't know at this point. Sure. I imagine if they're going in relatively frequently for injections, the, their doctors are also looking at that other eye to identify any worsening of, um, you know, of vision loss. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely in the, in the fellow eye, the, the other eye, you know, that that can um, that it can be a different issue. But even in eyes with the, the same, uh, you know, the, in the same eye with wet macular and dry macular at the same time, yeah, they'll be checked quite frequently. Very good. 
Um, so, you know, a question that we receive all the time when we talk about AMD is um, the Aaron's vitamins. Uh, and I know, um, or I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember that uh, they're most helpful in early to intermediate AMD. And so this listener has a question about having GA in both eyes and wants to know if increased vitamin intake can slow things down. Right, that's a common question, and from the, the big studies that were done, the main point of the AREDS vitamins are to decrease your risk of converting to wet AMD. It really hasn't shown um, a big effect on um, uh, conversion to geographic atrophy or the spread of okay. geographic atrophy, though. Yeah. Okay. Okay, very good. Uh, let's see. I think that covers the questions that I have. Um, okay. Um, so we'll move on. A couple of notes um, in addition before we conclude. Um, next month on October 26th, we'll have a fantastic discussion with Sally Temple and Jeffrey Stern about adult stem cell therapy targets um, for dry AMD treatment. Um, I know I've received so many questions about this, um, so mark your calendars. That should be really exciting as well. Um, and I'm also thrilled to share that on October 12th, we will host our first ever Bright Focus Glaucoma Chat. Um, I know there are many of you out there that actually have both AMD and glaucoma, so we'd love to welcome you to that. Okay, so to close out, um, Dr. Liao, um, I can't thank you enough. This discussion has answered so many questions we've received. I know I'll probably get more. I might reach out to you to figure out how to address that. Um, but before we conclude, are there any final thoughts or remarks you'd like to share with us? Um, yeah, well, it's been a pleasure being back, and uh, I think it's it's good to get the word out. We're definitely in an exciting time where we're going to start to see new therapies come out for geographic atrophy, and um, hopefully we'll get more and more out there and be able to offer more things to patients. And um, uh, it's 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 a it's definitely a good time in geographic atrophy. And and as you mentioned earlier, I do want to thank all the patients that were uh, involved in the clinical trials because they they are really the ones that have helped um, bring these drugs uh, uh, to approval so we can help other people with them. So uh, thank you to, to those people, and um, yeah, we'll stay tuned, and, and hopefully there will be many new treatments coming out in the near future. Absolutely. And, you know, this whole talk has been from the angle of, you know, um, the patient perspective, but I imagine it must be so nice um, for you as a doctor to finally have something to tell the folks, um, you know, that you haven't been able to treat yet. Um, I imagine that must be very rewarding for you as well. Yes, yeah. You'd, you'd never like to send someone home without uh, trying to make them without better. Answers. So this, this will be very good. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, we'll definitely try and bring you back um, next year at some point. And on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation and of the audience, we appreciate you so much. And thank you for edu educating us today about dry AMD and GA. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. Best to you. This concludes today's Bright Focus chat, and we will return on October 26th. Thank you so much for listening today. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.